You're listening to The Omni Show. Get to know the people and stories behind the Omni Group's award-winning productivity apps for Mac and iOS. My name's Andrew J. Mason, and today we talk to Karosh Dini on how he utilizes OmniFocus to get things done. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of The Omni Show. Today, we are excited to talk to Karosh Dini. He's the author of Creating Flow with OmniFocus. He's a psychiatrist, a productivity expert, and a musician. And a reoccurring theme you'll hear from him is how productivity springs up naturally as a result of guided play. Karosh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. Thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. I honestly can't wait to dive into this, your philosophy of productivity as play. <laughs> I feel like if we all had that mindset, then the world would probably be a lot better uh, better off for it. But before we head there, I do want to ask the question. I love asking this question of people, too. How did you come across Omni Group software? Just tell us a little bit of your story and your history as it intersects with uh, the Omni Group. Yeah, so somewhere in the late 2000s, I was really trying to, maybe mid-2000s, I was trying to figure out how to continue to be responsible. So I was um, finishing up my residency, and I was starting a private practice, and I'd just gotten married. I still enjoyed video games. I still do right now, but uh, I was probably able to play them more then. And I still wanted to be able to do all of those things, as well as play piano, and still be responsible, you know? And so... I came across two things at the same time, which was uh, David Allen's Getting Things Done, and also um, Omni Outliner with uh, KGTD. There was that setup that allowed the predecessor of, of OmniFocus. Together, I was, I was thinking, how do I make these both work at the same time? So it wasn't just Getting Things Done or OmniFocus or KGTD. I was trying to say, there's a promise here of focus, and how can I make that promise work? And that's really where it all began. What eventually, I think, has really resonated with me throughout the years and continues today is uh, that concept of the trusted system. Having this idea that something's going to continue to act the way it has been so I can rely on it, that's trust. If it's going to keep doing the things I want it to do and it's going to hold what's important to me to keep developing it, then my mind will be more able to focus. That same theme has just continued since. It's just... Once I read that, once I got into it, it just sparked. I said, okay, these are all suggestions I can take from to build on that central idea. That's wonderful. And I remember a podcast that you did. No, it was a screen cap um, inside OmniFocus that you did where you talked about OmniFocus being this place and, and the, the quote that you had was that it nudges your attention. I love that phrase for some reason, but uh, can you speak to what that means to you, what that is, how OmniFocus kind of nudges your attention in the right direction? Sure. So, yeah, I think nudge my attention is definitely the, the phrase. You know, when you look at a task list, it's a bunch of things that you've told yourself to do before you're not thinking about right now. And usually the gut reaction whenever somebody tells you something, even if it's yourself, is, yeah, I don't want to do that. And most of us also, on the flip side, have those moments where we're really into something and we're doing it well. There's nothing else in the world that matters, you know, and you might even come out feeling proud of it. And usually that's centered on that playful spirit that seems so mercurial to find. So you want to find how to get to that place in a way that's also honoring the genuine part of yourself that says, yeah, I don't want to do that. So it's about finding the workflows and habits that really orchestrate those moments. And you work with your external systems, reminders, uh, OmniFocus, 
to not make strong demands of yourself that you otherwise wouldn't do. It's about finding those rhythms that would naturally start heading in certain ways and then saying, okay, how about this way? How about that way? So it's, if I can use the metaphor of, you know, you're gardening yourself in a way, you know, you're kind of finding the ways that things would flow. So I like using daily repeating tasks a lot, particularly the defer again aspect and omnifocus. That way, the more regularly you sit with something, the more you can warm up to it, engage it, make it a part of yourself. So the example I could give is, let's say there's a report a person has to write for school. You know, that's the kind of typical, even as we grow further and further into adulthood, there's still that haunting something that comes from that scenario. And if you start it early, set it up to repeat regularly, and only make the promise to be with the work rather than force yourself through it, you're much more likely to start being honest with it rather than just say, okay, this is what the teacher wants me to say. You're more like, maybe this is what they want me to say, or maybe this is what the author meant, but this is what I think and where I think things are wrong or differ or how I, how I might approach it. And suddenly you're you, you're genuine. And with that, the work just goes many levels higher. Mm, that's, that's a great answer. I, I remember an interview that I had done with David Allen a while back, and I had asked him, uh, what's the biggest barrier to productivity for people? And I you know, asked this huge open-ended question, kind of hoping to sit back and relax and listen to him kind of riff for a few paragraphs. But uh, what, he, what he came back with was just this short one-sentence answer. And it was, uh, I believe it's people's addiction to stress. <laughs> and uh, it's so curious because you talk about this internal fear, this internal dialogue we have with ourselves where it's not necessarily even anybody from the outside putting expectations on us anymore. I mean, we're adults. Do you have any way of kind of gaming that addiction to stress or that idea that work can be play? It doesn't have to be so stressful. Well, I think there's many different ways to approach that, but I think there is considerable practice to it. I think that idea of play can be practiced because that addiction to stress idea, I think there's something to that. That's the way that's worked. Oftentimes when somebody was dependent on a due date and that's just the way it's always been, and that's the only way that's reliably worked, well... That's the, I guess, addiction, if you want to call it that. But it's also like, I, I don't know any other way. So if you practice the other one, there's something to that. And then there's always, how is it that that's an addiction? How is it that that's been the only way? And then that's a much more broadened discussion. Yeah, I think sometimes it's just that that belief that something, if it were different, then we could be much more effective people. You know, if that thing was different, then I'd be so much more effective. And I, I think the same thing goes for new features, too. You know, sometimes you'll see people float from software to software and making movement, but not progress just because they believe that, you know, there's going to be one killer feature that if this software has that feature, then, you know, then I'll be super productive. Do, have you ever had any trouble with that? Or do you have any advice for anybody that's, you know, it's just because you've had such a long history with OmniFocus, but uh, maybe anybody that's trying or having trouble landing the plane for their selection of, of software, any words of wisdom for them? Yeah, no, it's it's a tough thing. So a couple of thoughts in there. One was, do I ever feel tempted to kind of veer off and see anything else? And then what do I suggest for others? So the first part, every once in a while, I test the waters. I check out what other systems there are. And very quickly, I'm, uh, and maybe it's just because of my long history with OmniFocus, I, or maybe just because it, it, I've become so symbiotic with it, I suppose. I just get repulsed. I just can't do it. You know, The one thing that I would consider uh, more seriously is pen and paper. Pen and paper is just very, uh, 
the organicity to that, the power of the written word and the simplicity of it is just, you know, unparalleled. You know, so then I would probably have like a, a folder and set of sheets of paper for each project or something like that. But the repeat system and like setting up my practice and things like that, it just, it wouldn't work the same way. Then the other aspect of helping somebody land it, it touches on at least two or three things that come to mind. One is, again, that idea of trust, but trust is developed. It takes time because it's a primal feeling. It's a sense that something's going to keep doing what it has been so that you can rely on it. You can't choose to trust something. You can only decide whether or not you trust something like at some deep level. So it's, it's a matter of kind of consistency. But then the other aspect is the anxiety. You know, there's so much worry of, am I doing the right thing? Will I do the right thing? That that needs its own exploration to some degree, at least, before you start realizing how much of that is playing into changing system after system after system. In any form of procrastination, you can wind up just thinking that you're solving the problem, but in reality, you wind up perpetuating it. It's not a simple answer. I wish I could say, just just do this. But there's a, a depth of self-reflection that needs to go into it. No, that makes absolute sense. And uh, it is a big discussion. It's a conversation I think that's worth having. Uh, I want to talk about this phrase that you had. Uh, and forgive me for just kind of picking and choosing phrases throughout your different screencasts and stuff. But sometimes, you know, a phrase will just stick with you. And I love this phrase that you use about OmniFocus's inbox is almost like a thermometer that kind of gauges your system's health. What do, you, what do you mean by that? Yeah, the inbox is powerful. And I'm often fond of saying the more powerful the tool, the more caution it requires. So the inbox is where you throw things. You're not willing to think about it. You're not able to think about it. And we're almost always in the middle of something else. So it's very useful for that. But without actually addressing the things in there, it quickly loses the trust of it being a place you could defer your decisions. So with some regularity, then maybe daily or a couple times a day, something, you not only move everything out of it, you have to address them. Another way of saying that is, you know, the inbox holds everything you haven't addressed. Okay, so then what does addressing mean? It means a series of a few questions. One is, what does this thing mean to me? Where is it useful? When would it be useful? And how can I make it show up in a way that's uncluttered by distracting tasks, thoughts, or surrounding things so that you could actually deal with it at that time. So there's no perfection, but you can think those things through as much as you can. And when you do that, you greatly improve that sort of signal to noise ratio of what's meaningful to you and how to make that develop and form. And so when you can do that, then you're in a much better place of being able to focus on what you want to focus on, deal with the things that are in front of you, because you feel like, okay, that other thought, I have a way of dealing with it. Now, secondly, as your inbox becomes cluttered, it quickly breaks down that feeling of this thing can be developed. Because now you've got 40 things, 100 things sitting in the, in the inbox, and you have no idea which one's important, what's not important. If you don't have a place to move it, if you haven't figured out where good places for that are based on your habits, based on where you see things, all that, then that shows that the system is not healthy. It's not there yet. It's not developed to the point that, that works. So in that way, if you have a bunch of stuff in the inbox, it shows that there's a fever. There's a state of unhealth. It's kind of the grandmother test of placing your hand on the forehead. That's such a great way to describe it. 
everybody has that number and you know it might not be explicitly but just this internal measurement of comfortability with how much or little you trust your system based on how crazy your inbox is getting and you're right it depends on the speed of your life you know for, for me when things are flowing pretty fast uh, in that range of like 40 to 60 somewhere in there as you start to see a scroll bar show up on your screen <laughs> and uh, you know it's gone past where below the fold of the newspaper for your inbox uh, that's where I start to get this like uh, I, I got gotta do it gotta do it because you don't know if there's a commitment that you've made or a thought that you, you that would be really useful if you acted on and the flip side of what you were saying you know the powerfulness of the inbox is that your present version is now responsible for what the past version of you has committed to capture totally yeah that if you can honor that past part of yourself even if it's just touching the thing that asked your future self to do it then you are much more willing to trust your future self in the current state well as we're moving in that direction tell the listeners what your system is is currently structured uh, as I've seen one or two of your screencasts where you talk about this almost multi-layer action going on where you have uh, the system where the work actually happens, but then you also have kind of this sub or meta layer that helps focus your attention in the direction of those things that you want to pay attention to. And so it's almost like you, you've made this system and now it goes back and, and prompts or makes you. Absolutely. Yeah. So so this system, yeah, I call it navigation. I've previously called it land and sea. I like this sort of sailing metaphor, even though I never go sailing. I just have this romanticized picture in my head. So the navigation system is very much about putting the right stuff in front of me at the right times with minimal clutter. So at its heart, it's really simple. There's just the complexity that kind of grows around it. But really what I want is three major things to do in a day that's outside of my client work. So my client work is, you know, that takes precedence of we set an appointment, we meet and all that. But when I have time to myself, or when I have time with family or something along those lines, I want three places that I would set my attention to about those. So it could be writing a book or developing a course. It could be playing a game. It could be anything. But those are things that I've said for some unspecified period of time, I want my mind there during the day. At the same time, I don't want to see all of those tasks that are associated with it. I just want to see something like continue writing book or continue working on the patio outside or just it says continue and then the thing. And I set that to repeat every day, usually every day. And in that way, if I have those three things repeating every day and a missed, let's say a total of maybe seven to 10 things total for the day, you know, it's a nice, simple list that I can make a quick decision about this thing, that thing. Okay, I'm going to do this now. But rather than having to process any thought about, you know, if it's like 20 things, suddenly I have to think what's important, what's not in a much more paralyzed way, I should say. So those three things, the way I deal with them is I put them in a project called Engaged. And it's a project set to parallel so that I see all of them. I give it a tag called Current. Current is my today list, if you will. And uh, I just called it current list instead. I like the river metaphor, so still going with the water, I guess. And within every task, it has a link. You know, I use the copy as link function to link to the project or a perspective or a folder that's associated with all the things that are related to it. So maybe continue working on book that's repeating daily links to a folder of individual projects of all the things that are each chapter or whatever it is I want to work on. 
So again, just daily I see continue working on book, but then I go follow that link. And right now there's a nice automation in uh, the Omni automation page that's set to follow that link very quickly. And then I can go to that list. I have a big long list. I can kind of work through a little bit while I'm there. And then I say, okay, that's enough. Close the tab, go back to my main list and mark off that one task as done. So then obviously there are more than three things that a person needs to deal with, but really to me, that's about enough for the day. That's enough nudging my attention because beyond that, I'm just, that part of me, it says, I don't want to, it gets just a little too loud. And anything else, maybe up to about seven things or so, 10 things or so, it goes into a project called Parked and that's on hold. So every day I go back and forth and I might move one to the other and maximizing at three for the uh, engaged. And that's the navigation system. I put them in a folder called navigation. And uh, really, once I settled into that, I haven't changed it. I mean, there's little bits and pieces and more detail about major routines, minor routines, things like that, that I've kind of worked into it. But that's the heart of it. And uh, it's worked well for me. And then throughout, and I know we mentioned this earlier, but throughout your system, you also have this model or idea or, or perspective of play. And talk to us about why it's important to have that viewpoint kind of shape what you do in that system. Yeah. So play is vitality. It's that essence of creativity. You know, So when we talk about flow, for instance, it's that same toddler mindset of deep focus. You know, the, the toddler is when they're playing, they are, they're at serious work. They are looking at the blocks and figuring out why the block is the way the block is and how to make it a tower and, and won't it be fun to smash it down or whatever it is. There's a deep seriousness to it and, and a depth to it that's also about what's important to you. And there's that active learning and expression of self that runs deep between world and self. And that happens internally when we're caught up in a project and really you know, enjoying it, or it happens you know, interpersonally. Maybe, maybe we're interviewing in a podcast or maybe a conversation with a friend or romantic interest that there's something about all of those that connects to it. And the issue though, is that it's not directly willed into being. And then when it is there, it can also be problematic. For example, particularly those who uh, struggle with ADHD, it winds up there can be a hyper-focus, which sometimes is wonderful, but also sometimes barrels through other obligations. You know, it, it winds up being very um, difficult. And I think there's very much that same aspect at work. So structuring your sessions, your systems and all that, it's about both trying to spark those moments and also trying to pull out of them where it's vital. So that's a matter of understanding yourself, your rhythms, and again, that nudging your attention. There's a metaphor that Freud's used. And I know he gets a lot of flack because of antiquated ideas of things that don't quite fit, but he also nailed a few things just right on the head. And uh, some of them are really just expressed through metaphor. So the double metaphor, one is the id and the ego, the id being, you know, this idea that we're all living and because we're alive, we've got to stay alive, our individual selves. And then as a species, we got to do that. So whatever aspects our bodies are telling our brains, hey, we need to keep doing these things. That's what it is. And then ego is the part of us that's trying to figure out, okay, what do I do with all that? So we have feelings that come to our brain, and then we have thoughts that we have to deal with these feelings. And the reason why any sort of development has to happen is because the same idea, you look at the toddler who's great at play, but they're not going to go rent apartments and, you know, work. So, <laughs> so there's some learning that has to happen. Anyway, the second part of the metaphor 
is he describes id as uh, horse and ego as rider, right? So we're all kind of riding this primal part of ourselves in a sense. And, um, and sometimes you kind of have to follow the horse and see where it's going. And you kind of have to develop this relationship with that primal part of yourself. Uh, you can't just kind of beat it over the head. It's not going to work. And you can't just ignore it and just let follow wherever it wants to go because that's not going to work either. So it's connecting with that part of ourselves that is about that sort of spirited play when you're both in tune, when you're like you're both heading in the same direction and there's that uh, vitality that comes with it um, that you're really uh, aiming for. Well, the spirit of that actually parlays really well into where I want to head next, and that is your YouTube channel. People might not know that along with your passion for productivity and getting all of these things done through this mindset of play, there's also this theme uh, that you share with your YouTube audience of just music and its creation, but also its intersection with concepts like logic and structure and productivity. And uh, there's one piece that I really, really enjoyed that you created called... Uh, I think it was writing a synth wave from start to finish or writing a synth wave piece from start to finish where you actually broke down sequence and structure in a song and then just paralleled that with how a productive day might go. Would you mind sharing some thoughts or uh, concepts from that piece? Absolutely. Yeah. So that particular piece was called Zdur. I don't, I don't know how to pronounce it. But honest, I just thought of <laughs> somehow I thought of those words after I, I composed it with Z-T-I-R. Yeah, the parallels between music and play and productivity, I think, are, are many. First, music is this lovely pre-verbal primal language where you can just deeply play with structure and emotion and the relationship between the two. And then as with any learning process, your mind has this tendency to transfer or generalize what you learn through whatever magic goes behind metaphor to other things in your life. Uh, so you get good at chess, you get good at strategizing in general, and maybe that translates into how you deal with board meetings, you know, something like that. Um, I'm overgeneralizing or just, but that's the kind of sense that when you get good at playing with emotion and structure, that generalizes to all of your other aspects of your life. Anyway, it's so powerful. I, the other soapbox that I, one day I'll get on somewhere is just, it needs to be taught more in schools. But <laughs> But secondly, the parallel to the day's list, you know, when developing a piece of music for improvisation, or when you're learning something that someone else wrote, for, for example, you have to memorize. You have to memorize more than just scales. You also have to memorize phrases that seem to suggest a feeling. So I've actually um, connected my uh, piano up here. I can play a tiny bit and give you a sense of what I'm talking about. So let's say I have a couple of phrases. So... Something like that. And if I memorize that, or something close to it, then I have it more in my fingers. It's ready to go. I have a sense of the shape that, of the emotion that that creates. And then if I come up with something else, um, let's say, um, it's very different in the same scale, but I memorize that as well. And then what I'll do is that I'll try to um, see where the emotion goes. So I might go...
So you get a sense of there's like um, obviously I varied it. You know, the second time around, I went with with each each thing. I, I made a, I made something different happen. And what happens with your today list is that you think through what is the day going to look like? What am I going to deal with? Where am I going to go? But the day has its own opinions, and so do you in other other ways. And so you have to kind of go with where that goes. But having done all that work of you know the analogy of memorizing here, it's setting, uh, planning your your day and setting up the task system. That it lets you vary and improvise and follow the emotions of the day and follow the in such a more an enjoyable way in a better way in a whatever that means to you. So. Going back to music, if you don't do that, you know, the idea of, quote, going with the flow often means don't have a structure, I think. If you do that, you're honestly just going to get a headache from whatever music you make. At least I do. The same thing goes with the day. You wind up playing video games the whole day. I don't know. It just doesn't work. But if you've set up all of those things and you thought about it, then once you're in those structures, you know, once you've sat with the thing you want to sit with that you've promised yourself, then it's play. In music, it's about going loud, soft, very jump, crash, whatever it is. But you've got that space in which to do that, and it's nicely juxtaposed with all the other parts that you've set throughout your day. So I realize I'm going way back and forth with these metaphors. But it means then you can really go with the flow is what I'm getting at. Wow, that was awesome. I honestly just want to ask a different question that'll give you an excuse to keep playing. (laughs) All right. I'd kick myself if I didn't ask this. Um, you know, we're so complex as human beings and we have so many different roles. And yet I know what we share with the online world or online communities is just a small slice of that whole person. Uh, and I know that there's a reemerging theme of play as we've talked about today. But I've also noticed that throughout your books and the YouTube videos and anything that you do online, there's also this sense of, of calm. And I have to ask, is that by design or is that, you know, an overflow of who you are or, you know, is it even an intentional like this is something I feel like the world needs right now. And so I'm going to share that. Hmm. I think, let's say to begin with, I'm not always calm. (laughs) I try to be. (laughs) The uh, other part of it is um, I, I find it to be just that characteristic of play that even even when stressed, you know, when. Maybe there's something I just picture in my mind of someone who's in a very stressful situation, but still calm in that they are the ones that you look to. And those are the ones who also manage to make it through and make the, uh, or even if they don't make it through it, there's something about it that's, there's an elegance to it that somehow works. I think there's a face of calm in play that it's, it's just one of those, um, the phrase that I've used, the metaphor I've used is um, the quiet smile. Even when things are, you know, maybe in, a, in an athlete, for example, in that really crunch time something, and somehow you still see in their face this this calm. You know, even though there's a stress, there's a pressure, there's, there's, it's not to say they're just sitting back on the couch. They're not. They're fully there. But there's also a calmness in their demeanor. I think that's what I'm trying to aim for. And I don't know why that works, but it seems to. Karish, I so appreciate that. Thank you so much for sharing kind of your journey with Omni Software, but also uh, all of these different slices of who you are. We, uh, we're so grateful for that. Uh, where can people find you if they want to connect with uh, the work that you do? Sure. So uh, my main site would be uh, either well, two sites. One is beingproductive.org and the other one is koroshdini.com. K-O-U 
R-O-S-H-D-I-N-I.com. I usually go to beingproductive.org first. It's just easier for most to spell. <laughs> yeah, karoshdini.com. That kind of connects you to the broader world of what I do, including the music and my psychoanalytic practice and just random thoughts I might have occasionally. And then uh, if you're interested in uh, catching me performing live, I do that every Saturday morning at uh, 10 a.m. Central. And I'm uh, broadcasting to uh, both Second Life and YouTube. And you can catch that at kuroshdini.com slash music. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kurosh. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, and before you go, do you mind uh, maybe sharing a little bit more of that music you were playing? Should I just go through a full piece? <laughs> yeah. Maybe we could just switch up the, uh, the outro just for this episode. Uh, have a calm outro. So grateful to share this time with you all. Uh, if you find this episode helpful and uh, want to help us out, absolutely leave a review or rating in iTunes. If you want to keep up with us and what we're up to, check out The Omni Group at omnigroup.com slash blog or head to at The Omni Show on Twitter. Enjoy the music, everybody. <laughs>